Oh, good morning, everybody. Of all my sermons that I've ever given, that might be the most random video clip that I have ever opened with, so you're welcome uh, for that. Uh, if you have ever wondered if a giant Lego ball will survive rolling all the way down a large hill towards a car, now you know myth busted. Everybody say busted. Myth busted. Well, we're really glad uh, that you're here. I don't know if any of you are familiar uh, with Sean. Have you ever heard of Mythbusters or seen Mythbusters, the show? Okay. I don't know if they're on anymore, but it used to be one of my uh, favorite shows. And essentially, the, the premise of the show is that these people or other folks would, these scientists or these uh, kind of curious folks, take myths or ideas or assumptions that many people have, these things that we just believe or these things that we just say and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we all know that that's true. And they actually put those things to the test in order to prove or disprove them. And so can you roll a giant Lego ball down a hill? Can you actually uh, rip a phone book in half? What's the, they did one on what's the best way to load an airplane from the front to the back or from the back to the front. All these things that people just think that they know and they actually put them to the test. And more often than not, those myths are busted. And essentially that is our goal today. The reason I show you that is to tell you this, that instead of some myth that you don't care about or that doesn't really matter, we're going to look at some myths today that actually apply and really affect all of us, something that you and I do every single week, and that is worship. If there is a Mythbusters episode about worship, uh, today is the day. So welcome to Mythbusters worship style. And so I, I, I'm guessing that if I say, when I say that word worship, there's a couple hundred uh, of you. By the way, folks, it's Memorial Day weekend and we've got a packed house. So welcome everybody upstairs and in the lobby and back here. Praise God for that. That's awesome. Um, when, when I say the word worship, I'm guessing there's a couple hundred different thoughts uh, that pop uh, in this room. And as it turns out, worship is one of the most talked about, uh, but also one of the most un misunderstood things that we do as a church. And so from time to time, uh, on a weekend like this, we just like to take a step back and have a little fun. And we're going to talk to you not so much about the, the what we're going to do that today, but also the why. If you've ever come in like, why do they do things the way they do? Why do we do worship the way that we do? Why, what, what is worship? What's the whole point? That's what we're going to do today. And as we go through, I hope that you gain a new understanding for worship, but also that you grow in your passion to worship, your passion to worship the God of the universe as well. But before we jump into it, I think it's important that we define our terms because worship, as we'll come to see, is not necessarily just a churchy or religious term. Because the reality is when I say worship, most of, our, most of us might be thinking, some of you might be thinking, oh, we just got done with that, John. That's the part of the service we just got done with. You know, we come in and you do the announcements and then we sing a couple songs and then it's the sermon. And so we just got done with worship and now we're on to the rest of the service, right? Some of you might be thinking that, like, oh, you know, it's kind of like we would never say this out loud, but it's kind of like worship is like the warm-up act for the sermon, you know what I mean? Like, this, I, I come to church for the sermon. The songs, it's just like, yeah, we do a couple songs to just get warmed up. So it's kind of like the warm-up act. Here's two main reasons that worship cannot be the warm-up act. Number one, I'm just not that good. And number two, God really is that good. Amen? And so he, when we worship him, that's not some sort of precursor or warm-up act. Like, what you just experienced when we worship the God of the universe, that was the main attraction. Amen? That was the main attraction because God is worthy of our worship. The sermon is just like the icing on the cake. I mean, I'm guessing you got out of bed this morning and, you know, instead of thinking, oh, I wonder who's preaching at Hope Des Moines today, I hope that you just shot out of bed and said, you know what, I don't really care who's preaching. I just want to go and worship. 
you see the difference there? Do you see the shift in posture? It's not what can I get out of it. It's, man, I'm coming to be a voice in the choir, to join the angels that are worshiping God this morning, to join the church all over the world that is worshiping him today. There's a big difference in the shift of our posture. So what is worship then? If, if worship is not just what happens up here in the song we sing, or if it's not just a warm-up act, well, what is it? Well, a quick look at the word worship, uh, actually in the dictionary, uh, of all the different things that it can mean. For our purposes today, there's a literal definition of the word worship, which is essentially to ascribe value or worth. To ascribe value or worth. In that sense, we all worship something. Because the way we live our lives, we're all ascribing value or worth to something by our time, our priorities, and where we put our affection, what we lift up. This comes very natural to kids, if you think about it. We have two young kids, three and five, and, and when they were a little bit younger, when they were first discovering things and learning their words, uh, our daughter, Evie, who's now just about three, used to do this all the time. She would find something, and it would be like the most amazing thing in the world. When something was lost, and then she found it, she would like find one of her shoes and just lift it up and come running into the room going, shoe, daddy, shoe, or dinosaur, look. And she would just lift it up as if to lift it up and say, look how amazing this is. Look how great this is. Kids get worship. When they experience something new, those of you that have young kids and they're experiencing new things, it's like they just have this unbridled joy that comes out. And I think the reason that we can learn so much from them is because maybe kids know how to enjoy things instead of trying to overanalyze them or control them. No, I don't think you got it. Let me say that again. I think kids know how to simply enjoy things without having to overanalyze them or control them. Some of you needed to hear that this morning, I'm guessing. Because when it comes to not just worship or singing or when it comes to your faith, the reason you're not experiencing growth in your faith, the breakthrough of the Holy Spirit that you want to experience is because you are dead set on trying to control it or overanalyze it. It is so cerebral for you. The longest distance you will ever travel in your life is from here to here when it comes to your faith, to move from your head to your heart. But it doesn't change as we grow up. Worship doesn't stop with kids as we grow up. We don't lose our ability to worship. We just end up worshiping other things. Anybody ever been to a sporting event, basketball game, football game, just a show of hands? You know, a sporting event, everybody upstairs? Yeah, we all been, been to that or you watch it on TV. Here's tens and thousands of people that are fully engaged mind, body, heart, passionately ascribing value or worth to a team or a specific player. I remember, I don't know why this came to mind when I was thinking of it uh, this week, but it was several years ago uh, when Iowa was playing Iowa State and it was in Ames and being the good husband that I am, I wore my Hawkeye clothes underneath my Iowa State clothes as a covert Hawkeye fan at the Iowa State football game. I remember it's because we had really good tickets. Somebody gave them to us and we were sitting right on the end zone where the final uh, play of the game was. This was one of those random games that, that the Cyclones actually won like once every 50 years when they win uh, the game. Uh, and so we were there and I just remember in that final moment when they won, I think it was like overtime and they got the two-point conversion or something and Iowa State won and that Jack Tri Stadium just went ballistic. Like there was people that I had never met or I met them like 
an hour and a half before, and we were literally jumping up and down, hugging each other. People were like jumping into each other's arms, going, woo, just going crazy. You know, people had like paint tattooed, uh, you know, written all over them and cyclones on their bare chest and everything. People were just jumping up and down, going crazy, going wild. And then the next day I came to worship and I looked around and we were, our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain sooner. It's not a judgment thing. It just kind of made me think and go, wow. We go nuts watching 18 and 19-year-old college boys run into each other. And then when it comes to expressing our love and affection for the God of the universe, we're like, I don't know, somebody might, I thought about raising my hands one time, but I just, no, I'm Lutheran, first of all, they don't go higher than this, and I just, I just doesn't, I don't know, I'm just kind of worried about what other people will think, and I have this image in my mind of high-fiving and hugging people I just met at the football game, and here we're like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to look around me or touch anybody. It just makes you think we all worship something. Some of you aren't sports fans. It may not make sense. Think about it uh, this way. How many of you ever been to a concert to see one of your favorite artists or favorite bands or something like that? Take a look at this picture. Uh, now, you might think these girls are at a youth rally, and they are going crazy worshiping Jesus, right? They are at a Justin Bieber concert, Okay. <laughs> Now, I want to draw your attention not to the girls, but to the gentleman in the top right corner, okay? He is, that epitomizes some of your worship experience, right? It's too loud, right? Turn it down, right? This is either a security guard or some poor soul of a dad that got drugged there uh, with his teenage girls. But these girls are going nuts for Justin Bieber, right? Could you say that there's a lot of worship going on, right? They are just pouring out their hearts, right? And I would imagine those girls were in church the next morning just pouring out their hearts, you know, in worship as well. Isn't it amazing how we have no problem worshiping? The question is, what or whom are we worshiping, right? We all worship something. In in this sense, it's just a terrible God. And Bieber would actually agree. The amazing thing, Justin Bieber, he's a believer. There's videos out there. He's got a pastor in New York City. I mean, he's leading worship at his concerts. He's very outspoken about his faith, so I think he would... Agree. We all worship something. It's whatever gets our affection, whatever impresses us, whatever draws our undivided attention. It could be a football team or a band or a hobby. Here's, you know what? We could actually worship other people if we need their approval more than God's. We can worship our work. If you're finding your worth and your validation in your performance at work, you are worshiping your work. The Bible has a pretty... Well, there's a word for that. It's called idolatry. And we think, oh, there's no golden calf in my front yard that I'm like bowing down to. No, but you find your worth and your validation in how good of a mom you are or how good of a dad you are or that you're spending 70 hours a week at work just to get that one more project done because I'll feel a little bit better about myself. God says, slow down and take a rest, especially this Memorial Day weekend. Where's your validation coming from? Some of you are going, you're going to go crazy on Monday because you're going to be thinking about all the things that you should get done on your to-do list because that's what validates you. And so we end up worshiping whatever gets our affection and our time. But the problem is all those little g-gods just leave us empty. There's really good news. There's a much better way. 
there's a much better way. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, open those up to Ephesians 1. It's in the New Testament, so it's going to be in the back third of your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's ones in the back. You can grab your Bible app uh, on your phone. Uh, and if you're going to tweet, tweet about the sermon because I'm watching you. Okay? All right. <laughs> I do. I see you. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And then verse 12, let's read it nice and loud together up on the screen. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory. In other words, the reason that you and I exist the reason that we were created, the reason we were saved, the reason that you woke up this morning with breath in your lungs is for the purpose of giving God his breath back. If you want a, a definition of worship, it's giving God his breath back, his breathing out and living all of your life as an act of worship. God has given us this life, and we were created for the praise of his glory, to give him our primary affection and attention. And that really reveals our first myth on this episode of Mythbusters, and it's this. The first myth about worship is this. Worship is a once-a-week activity. Some of you say, I'm headed to worship, right? I'm headed to worship. The myth is that it's a once-a-week thing, but rather than being a list of songs that we sing in a church building, Paul reminds us your entire life is worship. Everything you do is worship. Later on in the book of Romans, Paul says it this way, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. There's nothing in there about attending a church service and singing songs. Now, is that a part of it? Absolutely. But Paul's talking about your entire life, your lifestyle, the way that you live your life that brings honor to God and points to him can be worship. And that means the way that you love your family is worship because you are caring for God's kids, people that he created. The way that we love our friends is worship. When you exercise and you take care of the one body that God's given you, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit, you are worshiping. We serve as a church when we don't just sing the lyrics on the screen, we do the lyrics on the screen. Some of the best worship that takes place in this church is outside these walls. Some of the best worship that we do as a church has already taken place this morning as we've served breakfast to our guests or that we do on Thursday nights as we reach out to neighborhood kids that may not have families and we serve them and we feed them and we love the lost and the broken and the hurting in our community. That is passionate worship. Our prayer is that our worship moves from our head to our heart to our hands. That's what a healthy church does. We don't pray the prayers and sing the songs. We do the prayers and we do the songs. Amen? We go live it out as a church. Paul puts it this way in, in uh, the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 23. Paul says this. Let's read it together up on the screen. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. Would you believe that your work is worship? Your job? When you go back to work on Tuesday or whenever you go back to work, it's worship, or it can be. And maybe the difference, even if it's a job you don't like and if it's a job that you're just putting in the time to pay the bills and your job right now is not ideal at all and there's weird people there and they annoy you, it can still be worship. The difference in seeing your job, your vocation, 
as duty versus worship is not necessarily what you do, it's why you do it. What if you walked into work, your job, every single morning and said, God, I am here to worship you with everything I do today. In the way that I talk, in the way that I listen, in the way that I love, in the way that I do what I've been called to do with excellence, I pray that people would see you. God, I want to lift you up and say, not look, dinosaur, car. I pray that when I work, that I would lift you up and people would see, wow, what is it about you? What is it about the way that you love and you care and you pray and you listen? And then there's your opportunity. We're making Jesus famous in every single thing that we do. In other words, in a healthy church, there is just as much, if not more, worship happening Monday through Saturday than there is on Sunday morning. Does that make sense? Sunday morning is just the icing on the cake. Oh, on Sunday, we worship through singing. But the whole rest of the week, I'm worshiping through every moment of my life. And that leads us to myth number two, that worship is a lifestyle, not an event. But myth number two is that worship is primarily about us. Sometimes we would never say it, but oftentimes we lose the fact and we forget this. If God never did anything for us, if he had never created us, if he never saved us or rescued us or given us life, God is simply worthy of worship because of who he is. Just because of who he is. I was thinking about it this week. I remember a story that my brother told me a couple years ago, uh, he's a pastor over in Altoona, and he was telling me this story about a couple that he was doing pre-marriage counseling with, as we often do, and he was meeting with them and kind of getting to know them uh, a little bit, and uh, he was asking him some questions, and he turned to the, the groom, the to-be husband, and his fiance's name was Jill, and he turned and said, so tell me something, this is just like an icebreaker question, this is like a softball, like an easy one. He says, so Jill, uh, to the guy, he said, tell me something you love about Jill. Just, why do you love her? Like, they're getting married in like a month. This is like an easy one, okay? So what do you love about Jill? And he sat there, and he sat there, and then he kind of got this grin on his face and he started to think and rub his chin and look up to the sky. And my brother's like, oh my word, this is going to be a train wreck. And he's just thinking and thinking. And finally, after a long pause of silence, he goes, I got it. Last year for Christmas, she got me this, I've always wanted a snowmobile. And she got me a snowmobile. It was awesome. I use it every weekend. It is so great. I wanted one forever. She is just so awesome. Man, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in there to see that lady's reaction, right? <laughs> and I can't help but think I wanted to ask this guy, what happens when she doesn't come through in the way that you want? Or is who she is simply enough to love her? Good question for those of you that are married today. Is it I'll scratch you back, your back, you scratch mine. Is it what have you done for me lately? Or is it I love you because I'm committed to you and I choose to love you every single day? Why would it be any different in our relationship with God? It's great when all is going well in your life, but is God worthy of your love and affection only based on what he's done for you recently or how you might be feeling or simply because he is the God of the universe, your good and loving father? Yes, we worship God for what he's done, but wouldn't it be awesome? Two completely different scenarios. I'm guessing there's been some times for all of you at one point or another, 
in this church where you've come walking in and you're like, I have had a crummy week. God, seriously, like, come on. Like, when are you going to come through for me? It's been a terrible week in my marriage. It's been a hard week with the kids. It's been a rotten week at work. The last thing I feel like doing is worshiping. Ugh. And I'm guessing that there has been times where you've walked through those doors going, oh, man, I got a new job. I got a promotion. We got a new car. My kid's an all-stater. I love my life. My hair's growing back. I'm losing weight or whatever it is. And like life is just amazing, whatever it is. And you're like, I am so ready to worship God. And I think God says, great. But you remember the other time when your life was falling apart and nothing was going well and you felt like I hadn't done anything for you recently? I'm still worthy of your worship. Because it's not about you. Take it deeper than that. Some of you I know after very difficult weeks or months, I talk to you, I hear you, I listen to your stories. And I've heard people say, John, it's been a really, really hard week. You know, I, I know we haven't been in worship in a while. Work is really busy recently. We're overwhelmed and stressed, and we're just going through some stuff in our marriage right now and uh, just kind of stressed out. I made a big mistake a couple weeks ago. I did something that I uh, regret. You know, I, I think we should probably just take a few weeks off from worship. I just, Pastor John, I, I, the ch church is the last place I should be. And I always want to look at you and say, no, this is the first place you should be. Because, man, do you need a Savior. And I need a Savior. And more than that, we need each other. The reason worship is not about us, because when you come into worship, two things happen. Number one, your focus gets shifted from your limitations to God's provision. It gets shifted from your doubts to God's promises. And your focus gets shifted from your weakness to his strength. You ever have one of those moments in worship where you just get caught up in it? And it's not that worship like changes your circumstances, but it changes your entire perspective on life. And you get caught up in worshiping the God who's holding the planets in the palm of his hand. And you're like, okay, time out. Maybe my life isn't as bad as I thought. Maybe my problems are held together by God. And if he can handle eternity, maybe he can handle Monday morning. Maybe he's got it. The second thing that happens in worship is that our focus shifts from us to other people as you look around and you go, "What? you know what? There's 200 other stories in this room. And I'm sitting here complaining about my stuff, but you know what? They got their stuff and they got their stuff. And so I'm working through that. It shifts our focus. Worship is not about us. Myth busted. Everybody say busted. 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 Myth number three, but for this one, I'm going to need a little bit of help. And so uh, since we're talking about worship this weekend, I thought it would only be appropriate to bring out our fearless worship leader who sees you worshiping. So I'm going to have Jed uh, come out and join me. Everybody welcome Jed uh, out onto the stage. So it's show and tell Sunday uh, here at Hope Des Moines. And Jed has a unique perspective uh, every week is that he gets to see you uh, as you worship. And so our third myth uh, today, I'll go ahead and go to the next slide there. Uh, our third myth that we're going to tackle today is this, Jed. We, everybody knows that worship 
is basically a Christian rock concert. I mean, basically, right? Basically, yeah. right? So help uh, us bust that myth. This so morning. yeah, this is this is a complete myth. There's a lot yep. of. Um, uh, first, let's acknowledge that there are some similarities. Like when you walked into this room, you saw a stage. There's a seating area. There's lights. There's like a nice PA system. Uh, if you were to go to Hoyt Sherman over down a couple blocks to to go to a concert, you would see a lot of those same things. And the reason we do that is because that actually helps us carry out the mission. Our society understands that format, and our culture understands that format, whether you've ever gone to a church or not. So somebody could come in just off the street for the first time and sort of have an understanding or a context of what's going to take place. But that is where the similarities end. So the first difference between, uh, say, a concert and a worship service like this is in a concert, uh, we would be the audience. We would just sit there and we would watch. But in a worship service, we are all active participants. Um, sometimes I think like what they want you to do in a concert is just to sort of like sit there and watch and like like take it all in. And for the most part, the audience doesn't do anything. The audience has this benign role. But yeah. as worshipers, it is not that at all. You all have a specific role here when worshiping. The whole part is us to gather together to worship God. Worship is a verb. It's something we actually do. It's not this, this mm. passive thing. I don't know if you noticed this, but John, I don't think the Bible yeah. says anywhere that we are the audience of Christ. I don't see it. It's no, not in my Bible. It's no, not, no. not anywhere in there. No. The, the Bible says we are the body of Christ. We yeah. are the verb to God's will as the church. And so uh, when we come and gather to worship, uh, we're to actually participate in that, not simply, you know, just take it in and consume. Right. Uh, the other thing is when you go to a concert, uh, point number two, when you go to a concert, uh, a performer will do their very best to impress you. But as a hmm. worship team, what we want you to do is to be impressed with God. We don't, uh, a worship team, you might, or, or, when you go to a concert or some kind of a show, a lot of times you walk around and you're like, you're with your buddy and like, man, wasn't that amazing? Wow. Wasn't that great? Yeah. And, and that's a great thing in those contexts. But for us, we don't want you to walk out of these doors and be like, man, wasn't that band great? Or wasn't that sermon great? Hmm. We want you to walk out of these do doors and say to your friend, man, don't we worship a good God? Hasn't our God mm -hmm. done amazing things? Isn't just his very nature amazing? We want you yeah. to be impressed with God, not impressed with us. Yep. Here's the thing. God is way more impressive than any of us on stage. <laughs> like, like once you get impressed with God, it's almost hard to get impressed with other things. And yeah, and yeah God is, is just beyond anything that we could have ever conjure up here on this stage. Um, there's another thing, though, that might help you with this. If you've ever felt self-conscious, I want you, uh, maybe in worship because of what somebody might think, so I want you to, to think about this for a moment. It's hard to be impressed with God and also be self-conscious and live in fear. Or it's mm -hmm. hard to be uh, impressed with God and also be self-absorbed or selfish. Um, imagine this. We were talking about sports a little bit earlier with yeah. the closet Hawkeye fan going yes. to... All right, so okay. imagine for a moment, like, you, you're you watching a sports, maybe it's on television, maybe it's live, and it's your favorite team, and, and if you're not into sports, imagine you're watching a loved one watching sports, and you can probably relate to this. There you go. Um, and all of a sudden, there is an amazing play that happens. Maybe it's a last-minute score, or just some athletic feat like the human eye has never seen before. <laughs> and at that point, everybody is impressed. And nobody is self-conscious at all. Everybody just loses it. They freak out. Yep. And nobody's thinking about 
about what is the person next to me thinking about, uh, thinking about me right now. Everybody's right. just consumed with what they just saw. Likewise, mm. we want you to be impressed with God and consumed and in awe of what God has done. And man, once you start thinking more and focusing more on God, it's so easy to focus on yourself less. And that is where the real freedom yeah. in worship lies. And then the third one is a, um, oh, how should I say this? As a worship team, we are trying to lead you. We are not trying to perform for you. And mm. there's, there's a couple things here. And one is we're really not that different, you and I. Mm. Like just because there's one group on stage and then and all of you out here, really together we are all the church. We're play, maybe playing slightly different roles, but for the most part, we are the same. In yeah. Christ, we really are the same. We are all actively worshiping together. We, we do want to, to get your attention, but we want God to be the one that, that holds your attention. So this isn't mm -hmm. something, we're not simply just trying to entertain you, but rather we want to uh, usher you into God's presence and together we worship our yeah. God. Now, if we were, say, less than excellent, then we would, it could be very distracting for you. <laughs> like, like if all of a sudden things just went off the rails and every once in a while this does happen. Yes. Uh, yeah. It, it could be utterly distracting. So we do try to keep things as excellent as possible. I'm often yeah. asked sometimes, uh, yeah. Jed, how do you, uh, you have so many different, uh, you know, musicians are up on stage. Yeah. And it, you would think a band would have to play together a lot before I mean, they every really week start to get chemistry. Every week it's a different group. It's yeah, not like, like a different combination It's not like people. the Jackson 5 or the Jed Smith 5 up here. It's different. So we're going to peel back the curtain for you a little yes. bit. We, we have a couple tools to help us. Uh, what we hear during a worship song is not what you hear. So I want to I wanna just play something for you. And this is what every musician and every singer hears in their ears. Uh, it's, it's something we affectionately wow. called the click track. This it's is Hope, like, Hope Des Moines behind the scenes here, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. This is it. Here, here's what it sounds like. Okay. Okay, now... Wow, that just makes me want to worship, Jed. Doesn't I'm it? I'm just moved. This, this is what the Holy, the Holy Spirit sounds like right here. <laughs> It's amazing. Usually when I audition, uh, when I audition musicians and I tell them we, we play live to a click track, like while we're on stage, yeah. um, they, they usually kind of freak out a little bit. And then the first couple of songs, they're like, oh, wait a minute, that, that totally helps out. Yeah. The nice thing is we're, none of us are perfect. Uh, luckily, this is a digital thing, so it is perfect. Yeah. And it's just the, this is, so happens to be the exact BPM. Uh, this is, uh, what was our offering song? Found in You. Yeah. This is what we were hearing during the song Found in You. Now, sometimes on Sunday mornings especially, there's a lot of different elements at play. So we have even more help than just this click track. Uh, oh, I'd yes. like to introduce you to a friend of mine. Her name is Wendy. Wendy, Wendy. the worship leader. Wow. And here we go. She sounds a little bit like Siri. Wow. Yeah, kind of sound like Siri. Everybody so, say hi, Wendy. Hi, Wendy. There she is. Wendy will actually tell us what part of the song to play next. We don't even have to memorize the song. Oh, we she, just, yeah, yeah, we're supposed to be doing a verse right she there. She sounds it's really nice. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. She, she pretty much will like just give us these random commandments. And it, it's, it's really nice for us because then it helps us just kind of keep on track. That's so good. That's a little bit of a behind the scenes look at wow. what we're doing here at Hope. Wow. There's another verse. There's another verse. We're supposed to be singing I think we've verse. completely ruined worship for everybody now. They're never going <laughs> to hear it uh, the same. So I'm going to keep Jed out here for a second because here's what we're going to do. Uh, now that you know that this isn't the show and that you're actually 
the main attraction. I mean, you're the participants. You're in this. Some week we're going to switch, and the band's going to be out there, and all y'all are going to be up here. We're going to have a giant Hope Des Moines choir uh, is what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Some of us have this thing about singing. Well, if there's freedom, if we don't have to worry about what other people are doing, if we're not, you know, self-conscious about what we're doing, if we're not watching worship happen, if we're into it, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. So we've already sang this song this morning, uh, Lion and the Lamb. But here's what I want to do. As best you can, you can remain seated. That's fine. I want you to sing as loud as you possibly can, okay? I am giving you permission, okay? We, we, I don't know if we've ever done this before, but we're, I want you to sing as loud as you can. Here's the thing. The Bible says over 120 times, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. It says make a joyful noise, not an in pitch or on tune noise. And that's really good news for some of you because you're terrible, <laughs> including myself, okay? But even if you're terrible and you can't say on pitch whatsoever, sing as loud as you possibly can. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say, I'm sorry about this. Just tell him that right now. <laughs> sorry about this, okay? So Jed... Jed's going to get us started, and let's just sing the chorus. Uh, we'll put the words up there. Just the chorus to Lion on the Lamb as loud as you possibly can. And if it's not loud enough, we're going to do it again, okay? Here we go. Let's do it. And our God is the Lion, the Lion. That was amazing. Okay, there's two things that we learned in that. Number one, some of you can really not sing. And number two, you have no excuses not to sing that loud all the time now. So it's going to be amazing. I think we just started the Hope Des Moines Choir. That was, that was awesome. You can do it. It's amazing what happens when we all do that together and we just kind of get lost in what we're doing rather than self-conscious of what's going on. So myth number three is busted. It's not just a Christian concert. It's way more than that. So here's where we're going to land today is in John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. If it's not a concert, if it's not a performance, if it's not just the songs that we sing, what exactly, when the Bible talks about worshiping, what are we called to do? What does it look like when we focus? So we're going to land in John chapter 4 today. And to give you some context, Jesus is on this long journey. He took a detour through Samaria, and Jews normally don't associate with Samaritans, specifically Samaritan women, but Jesus connects with this woman at the well. You've heard this story before, and they get to talking. She doesn't know that he's God. She thinks he's a prophet, and she says this, uh, verse 20 of John chapter 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain to Jesus, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. And then Jesus says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come, this is verse 23, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. True worship, Jesus says. Man, I, if you want to know how to worship, I'd listen to Jesus. True worship is in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? 
What does that look like for us here at a weekend service as we're worshiping through song? The first thing that that means is in truth. What is the content that we're responding to? If it's a sports fan, it's the team or the athlete you love that's so great. If it's the music fan, it's the band or the musician that you love, that you're responding to. Well, in Christian worship, we're responding to the truth of the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus has come, that he lived and died and rose again, that he took our sin and death, and in exchange, Jesus gives us life both now and forever. That is the best news you will ever hear. That is really good news, and so that's the truth of the gospel. So when you come into worship every single week, it's not like, Oh, man, what am I going to have for lunch? That person smells next to me. This is weird. Whatever. Like, nope. We're locked in on the truth of the gospel. God, I am here for you. I am zoned in, and I'm responding to the fact that I have life today because you gave your life for me on the cross, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm just going to give everything to you in worship. That's the truth that we're responding to. We worship based on that content on who God is and what he's done. But what does it mean to worship in spirit? We're in the middle of this sermon series where we're kind of honing in on the Holy Spirit. And last week we learned that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God that lives in us. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit in worship? I think number one, it's to remind us of who we are, that we're worshipers. Before you're anything else, you're a worshiper. That's why you were created. And number two, the Holy Spirit in worship, it wakes us up. I'm guessing for some of you, because I've experienced this too, yes, even as your pastor, there have been some weeks, I'm guessing, where you woke up and you're like, I don't really want to go to church today. Oh, it's going to be hot and sticky, and I don't want to get out of bed, or maybe in the winter it's cold, and I don't want to get my car started, and the kids are cranky. I don't know if I want to do all that. And then you come, and you get here, and somebody gives you a hug or a high five, and they remind you that you're loved, and you get into worship, and something in the sermon connects with you, and you walk out going, oh man, I'm so glad I came. I mean, that's me almost every week because I need to get woken up by the Holy Spirit. I think that's something that the Spirit does is the Spirit of the living God connects with the Spirit that's living inside of us and we are just overcome with gratitude and awe. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been like you watch a sunrise or a sunset. You ever have one of those moments? Or maybe there's nobody with you and you see this beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset. Doesn't something inside of you want to thank somebody? That's the Holy Spirit saying, you were created to be in awe. Not of yourself, but of something bigger than you. And that's why both spirit and truth are essential to Christian worship. If worship is just in truth, it's going to lack passion and emotion and affection. If worship is just in spirit alone, it can be sort of superficial and we're just getting into this big frenzy and we're waving our hands and jumping up and down for no reason. We love God in spirit and in truth. And only ma- imagine loving your spouse just in truth, just mentally. With, with I'm just going to love my spouse with all my mind. I agree we got married. There is a marriage certificate. We live together, so I love you. That would be loving your spouse in truth. Loving your spouse in spirit and in truth together is there's a marriage certificate. We got married. There's a date that we signed that. But you know what? I love you today because I'm in a relationship with you. I choose to respond to you. And it's no different with your relationship with God. And that leads to our final myth that we're going to bust today, and it's this. True worship is all external. 
True worship is all external. Maybe you've thought, you know, okay, John, so basically what you're saying today, if I'm going to be on fire for Jesus and really be a true worshiper, I got to raise my hands and I got to be less Lutheran and more Pentecostal and I got to go all wild and crazy and have lots of energy. Well, then we've already missed it. And we've put the cart before the horse when it comes to worship. Instead, the Bible says when the spirit moves, it often leads to emotions and movement. But hear me say this. The measure of maturity in worship is not about what's going on out here. The measure of maturity in worship is what's going on in here. And that could lead to hands raising and dancing and jumping up and down and singing loud. But sometimes it doesn't. Some of the most passionate worship that I've ever seen is somebody sitting with their head bowed and their eyes closed. It's about what's going on in here. Are you authentically responding to God? At the same time, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 3, verse 17. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Everybody say freedom. freedom. Meaning here, I don't know about everywhere else, but here you have the ability to worship in freedom. Fear of judgment or pressure, even if nobody else in the entire room was raising their hands in worship, if the Spirit leads you to raise your hands in worship, do it. Do it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Sing loud, just like we did a few minutes ago. Clap, even if it's just the Lutheran nod. Okay, that's the rocking out for a Lutheran right there, okay? Just tap your toe a little bit, okay? You can do it. Take a step out of your box. But here's the thing. The reason I talk about outward stuff, it would be easy to come every single week and watch worship and never engage. And some of you have been coming for a long time, and I want to challenge you. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? Some of you don't necessarily know what to do during worship. If there's not words on the screen, you're like, bah, Jed, you stopped singing. Now what do I do? And you're uncomfortable with silence. Okay, that was five seconds. And some of you are really, really uncomfortable right now. You know what might be the best thing that you do in worship all day today? Is listen. When's the last time you came to worship and said, God, I may not sing a single word today, but I am here all in for you, completely surrendered to you. It's not about what's going on out here. It's what's about what's going on in here. Pray, listen, sing. There's so many different ways. The key is, are you engaged in worship? your actions a reflection of what's going on in your heart? Are you just going through the motions or are you fully present? There's 24 hours in a week and I wonder if God is asking you for 10 or 15 minutes to not worry about what you're having for lunch or what the kids are doing later today or how bad your week was. 10 or 15 minutes to say, God, you're so worth it. I want to know you like that. Just end with a story. One of my favorite authors is Donald Miller. A long time ago, he wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz that some of you have maybe heard of. And he's talking about a guy, a friend named Alan, that was pretty skeptical of church, pretty skeptical of Christianity. Maybe some of you are as well. We love it that you're here, by the way. And he tells a story about Alan, who just wanted to get to know pastors and leaders and what all these churchy people are about. And like, he's, it's just all fake, it's just all a facade. 
since I know a guy named Alan went around the country asking ministry leaders and pastors questions. He went to successful churches and asked the pastors what they were doing, why they were doing was working. It sounded very boring, except for one visit he made to a man named Bill Bright, who was the president of a big Christian ministry. Alan said he was a big man full of life who listened without shifting his eyes. Alan asked a few questions. I don't know what they were, but the final question that he asked Dr. Bright was, Dr. Bright, what does Jesus mean to you? And Alan said that Dr. Bright could not answer the question. Instead, he said that Dr. Bright just started to weep. And he just sat there in his big chair behind his big corporate desk that he'd been at for 40-some years after knowing Jesus and wept. When Alan told that story, he writes, I wondered what it would be like to love Jesus like that. To not hide behind the tough guy facade or the tough woman facade, the I have it all together facade. I wondered quite honestly if that Bill Bright guy was just nuts or if he really knew Jesus in such a way so much that he would cry at the very mention of his name. I knew then that I would like to know Jesus like that. With my heart and not just with my head. That's my prayer for all of us today. That it would be real for you. Because we can talk about worship all day long. But this is between you and the God that created you. If it's going to be real for you, or if you're just going to come and go through religious motions every week. Desperately long for it to be real for you. So much so that maybe we would just weep at the very mention of his name because God is so good to us. Yeah, my life is messed up. There's a lot of you that are sitting here this morning saying, what do I have to give God praise for? (laughs) His life in exchange for yours that you could be here today and hear just how much he loves you. That's worth all of our worship for the next million years and beyond. I pray that it would be real for you. And so we're not just going to talk about worship today. We're going to do it. And so we're going to close with a song. And you know, hey, we're not that great up here. This is not where the focus is. I pray that you would just take a couple moments right now before you rush on with your Memorial Day weekend and you would say, God, I'm all yours. And whether that's your hands raised or out to the side, or even if your hands are in your pockets, I pray that your heart would be engaged, that you wouldn't worry about anything else for the next couple minutes. And allow yourself to listen to God, to pray, to internalize the words that are on the screen, and just make it your prayer and say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Jesus, I want to know you like that. I want to know you in a personal way, as my friend, as my Lord, as my Savior. So I'm going to invite you to stand. The band's going to lead us in worship. And let's be fully present to God and worship him together.